following program, Real Estate Radio, is brought to you in part by Trusted Agent USA. The views and opinions expressed therein do not necessarily reflect those of News of Radio or his management. Welcome to Real Estate Radio, hosted by the real estate therapist, Larry Shackman, a top-producing real estate broker, author, CEO, and founder of TrustedAgentUSA.com, the ultimate real estate matchmaker, connecting you with top-performing agents for 2% commission. Each week, we bring you exclusive interviews with industry experts, covering everything from staging to negotiation strategies to home inspection issues and everything in between. Whether you're selling your home, a first-time home buyer, or a seasoned investor, we've got you covered. Let's make your real estate dreams a reality in this fast-moving and ever-changing real estate market. This program is funded in whole or in part by Trusted Agent USA, Illinois license number 475-145-795. Now, here's Larry. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Real Estate Radio Show podcast uh, here on WCPTAM. I am actually not Larry Shackman. I am Dylan Kramer from Neighborhood Loans, NMLS number 224916. For those of you who are tracking the compliance issues, but we're going to spend a little bit of time today, um, and I want to offer a couple of things. Uh, Larry couldn't make it today on short notice, so uh, I'm going to have uh, a couple of things I've mapped out that I wanted to talk about, but we're going to... Open it up for your phone calls or texts, questions. If you have any real estate, mortgage, finance questions or discussion you would like to have about the market, about rates, et cetera, et cetera, don't hesitate to give us a call at 773 773- 763-9278. We're going to talk a little bit today about the markets. I'm going to tell some stories about uh, how to, or things that have happened that will uh, prepare you for the idea that you have to communicate with your real estate professional and your mortgage lender in order to take advantage of this market. We're going to do some uh, quick envelope math on even though rates being up over the last couple of years, the opportunity in the real estate market has been fantastic for folks. And we're going to talk about the basics of qualifying for a mortgage. But again, our, uh, we are welcoming your calls today uh, to drive some conversation on real estate and mortgage financing. So again, do not hesitate to reach out to me at 773-763-9278. So with that said, uh, let's jump in. I want to talk a little bit uh, about mortgage rates. You know, uh, the, the thing... First, let's talk about what's happened in the last week. I know when uh, Larry and I are here, we spend a little time going back and forth about the numbers that occurred in the market. And I have in front of me on my computer a list of things that went on over the course of the last week. And I want to kind of lay them out for you because I think it makes a case, as I have argued for the last six or nine months on this program, that we are going to end up in a situation much like the one the Fed has offered us last summer, which is rates are going to need to be higher for longer. Now, that does not mean it's going to be a bad time to get involved in real estate, but it does mean that you have to make the math work at these levels. Uh, We all know that the days of 3% mortgages are gone, but I don't think there's any time in this spring's spring 2024 housing market and moving season that we're going to see rates in the fives. I think that you're looking at at, at a 7%-ish rate uh, to get your transaction done, give or take, depending on your personal circumstances. But the the, the base rate for most loans is not going to go down. So let's talk about that. First, over the course of the last week, we got a bunch of numbers. On Monday, we got new home sales. New home sales uh, were kind of lower than expected by about 200,000 new homes. Now that's a national number. You know, we know that in the Chicago market there's not a dramatic amount of uh, new construction. I mean, we've got some teardown communities and we've got some condos being built in the city proper. But in the outlying areas, there aren't tracts of hundreds and hundreds of new homes being built. And on one level, that's good news because, you know, when you look in places like the Atlanta market or the Dallas market and other places in Texas, as well as markets out west where there's lots of land, they're just building more houses. But lots of times, corporations have come in and scoop those houses up. And it's not fantastic for individual buyers. So in the individual buyer signing less contracts, or maybe the math doesn't work 
for big companies to buy those houses, new home sales are down by about 20,000 less than expectations. And that means that maybe at least a touch, our inventory situation is moderating, right? We've talked a lot on the show over the course of the last few months with the idea that the rate, uh, the, 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 the rate of home ownership or the amount of people that are buying houses, um, is, is being reduced, um, or, or the values are being driven up by the fact that corporations are buying houses and taking them out of inventory. So again, new construction, new home sales down as of this week on Monday. Um, on, Tuesday, we got the consumer price index, and the consumer price index came in at uh, about a shade under expectations. We were expecting four and a half. We got maybe 4.4, 4, 4, 4, And so it's not a big enough number to drive mortgage rates down, although mortgage rates did have what I would term as a nice week. I mean, we've had some rough weeks lately. Every time it seems that I get on the line with Larry here, talk a little bit about mortgage rates since the turn of the calendar here into 2024, we end up in a situation where it's like, hey, it's a little worse this week, but still good, a little worse this week. We started the year at six and a half, and we went as high as seven and a quarter ish on base rates and now we're maybe seven this week and at least they didn't go up farther and largely that's because most of the economic news that we got this week moderated rates again if you want to talk about rates don't hesitate to give us a call or a text here at the studio at 773-763-9278 and we certainly welcome your call the thing that i think is important to understand about all the things that came out, whether it's the durable good numbers, which came out, and again, they were uh, worse than expected on Tuesday as well. So between the CPI, the mid-month CPI, and the durable goods numbers, it shows not necessarily a slowing economy, but not an accelerating economy. And that is perceived as less inflationary. And when we have less inflation in the market, we find ourselves in a situation where um, rates don't need to go up. Remember, rates are driven by inflation expectations. It's not just a direct result of the conversation with the Fed. So as we turn around and we yeah, move forward into Wednesday, we got the fourth quarter GDP number. It came in at 3.2%. Expectations were 3.3%. With that sort of number, again, another moderating sort of conversation. And then you get into Friday. And the thing about Friday is that we got the, uh, the, the price cost that the Fed loves the most. And that is a thing that really drives that conversation, right? So the Fed will come out and they'll tell us about the consumer price index and then the, the, the CPE. And those things are, again, moderate. And that moderate conversation helps so much. So you end up in a situation where you've got the core CPI moving down. You've got the, 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 the GDP number from the fourth quarter slowing down. Not falling, just slowing. And that's moderating rates. So from a rate conversation, we got to do the math at 7%. Why do I talk about that for the first six or seven or eight minutes of the show? Because we have to understand that we're now two years in to this rising market. And I've had a lot of conversations with consumers, but also with real estate professionals who have literally said to me, this is a bad time to do business because rates are high. And I would argue it's not a bad time, and maybe we're splitting hairs here, but let me explain what I mean. If you bought a place for $300,000 two years ago, January, February of 2022, when rates were still six-ish, not seven, or last year, when rates were seven, you've experienced two years of at least 6% increase in your property's value. And so if you bought a $300,000 house last two years ago, 
that house at 6% was worth $318,000. And then another $18,000 on top of that here in 2024. So two years of appreciation have moved you from a $300,000 house to a $335,000 house. That is equity in your pocket. And equity, remember, is the number between what you owe and what your balance is on your loan. So if you have questions about home equity, don't hesitate to give us a call at 773-763-9278. We welcome the chance to open a conversation there. But the thing to keep in mind is the following, and that is that if you had been renting rather than owning to other financial things happen. So let's talk about this, right? We've got $35,000 conservatively, right? I'm using 6%. There are a lot of figures that have said we've had 7 to 9% increasing depending on the market, depending on the situation. So a good conservative number is the 35000 Now with that $35,000, you've also not rented for the course over the course of the last um, you've not rented over the course of the last two years. If you were renting for $2,000 a month, that is $2,000 rent times 24 months or $48,000 that you did not spend on rent, add that to your $35,000, and then you've paid your mortgage down. And maybe you've paid your mortgage down, you know, $700 a month, and that's a fair number, and that's ten grand the first year and ten grand the second year. And so now you're in a situation where just over the last couple of years, you would move your home equity from the uh, almost $100,000, right? $103,000 in net worth gained by owning over the course of the last two years. So I continue to advocate for home ownership as life-changing for you and your family's net worth. All right, we've got our first call of the day, so let's talk to Kimberly from Chicago. She wants to talk a little bit about a home loan on her existing property. Kimberly, how are you today? Welcome to the Real Estate Radio Show. Hi, how are you? I'm fantastic. How about yourself? I'm doing well. Um, I have a question. I own a home in Chicago that uh, actually bought several years ago, and we were going to um, remodel it for my my grandmother to move into and uh, to be a blended family residence. Um, but we never did anything with it, and right now we're, we do have it on the market, but nobody wants to give us anything for it. Okay. So, uh, so then it needs to be revisited again. Um, uh, do we go ahead and, and make this home work for my parents and for our family? Um, question I have, though, is getting a loan, is there any all-in-one loans um, that would uh, that we could because uh, we own the the property outright where they can take the equity in the property and then use it towards the home loan towards the construction loan. So let me ask you this: How much ballpark to make the house what you want it to be? How much do you think you need to borrow? Ballpark. Probably five hundred thousand. Okay. Well, that's I mean, once we sell our home, then we'd be able to pay that part of that down, the home that we're in currently. Okay. So you're looking at a different house to do that, or are you looking at converting your existing house? No, this is a different property that we own. Okay. So the details there is, here's what I would tell you. Kimberly, there are loans that allow you to do a full renovation of a property, right? And so whether you own that property free and clear or you own a property or you're looking to buy a property, right? Let's say, I mean, your situation, obviously, you own this home already. But for the people mm-hmm. listening who are listening to our conversation, the thing that you can do is you can get a renovation loan product where you come in and you have this discussion where you um, basically bid out your project up front, right? So they don't just give you a blank check for 200000 or 500000 in your case or in whatever it is, and they go through and they vet it out, and they find themselves uh, working with you. You basically put your plans and specs together. 
You bring them in. They do a, a, a projected value appraisal on the property, right? So let's say the house is worth, just to keep the numbers around, the house is worth $100,000 today. It's in rough shape, but we want to do a massive remodel. So if we do $500,000 worth of work, as long as it's going to be worth at least 600 after, right? The 100 today plus the 500, okay. you should be good to go. So it's not as the, the devil's in the details on these, which is why I don't necessarily want to get into the conversation that would pre-approve you on the phone. But if you want, I'll take your number and then off the air, we can have a follow-up conversation to talk about a little more details. But the short answer to your question is, is there a loan product that would allow me to finance that type of project? If I'm hearing that question correctly, the answer to that is yes, there is a niche product available. And at Neighborhood Loans, we do them all the time. Oh, okay. Okay. Absolutely. Um, I'll, I'll leave my number then. No problem. What else, can I answer anything else for you while I have you on the phone? Uh, I do have questions about it. Do you believe that um, this statement is true, that by 2030, 60% of the homes will be owned by the big corporations like Black, um, BlackRock or, um, you know, the, the, the companies that are buying up the I don't believe that. I continue to believe, though, that that your comment is right, that corporations owning massive amounts of properties is a Mm -hmm. scourge on the home buying business. But the thing is that most of the homes currently are owned by folks on an individual basis, mine included, and lots of folks that we've worked with over the years, with mortgages under 4%. And as long as they continue to make their payments, they're not going to put those houses on the market. And so those corporations like BlackRock will not be able to buy them, but they will continue to be aggressive in trying to buy houses in the marketplace. And so for that reason, I do think it's going to continue to be an issue, just not necessarily as big an issue as you're describing. And how do you know when they're, because we get several calls on our other property that I was I was just speaking about, um, they're calling, uh, you know, they want to buy our property. How do we know that they're not a uh, big corporation underneath, you know, just here's what I'm going to tell you. If somebody's uh, offering you cash, it's probably mm-hmm. a corporation, literally, unless you get a contract offer. If you're just getting phone calls that are like, hey, would you take X amount of house for the pr- property? It's a corporation, even if it's a smaller corporation, right? Like a, a franchise branch of, you know, you sell to us quickly.com, which we know there are a lot of folks in that marketplace. And don't get me wrong, we've discussed that on that uh, on this show with Property Pals USA. That can be a valid business model, but it is a corporate business model. And so if you want to ensure that a house that you're going to sell has uh, is going to an individual you want the individual's name on the contract that you're offered and they'll have to put it in writing because when they offer you a contract it'll be an individual one is that fair yes but when you when you do get a contract you can't cancel it because of who's trying to buy the property though is there a way well you can always not accept it right and if you get an offer from ABC Corporation, right? Let's not name names in terms of that. You can just say, look, I'm not selling to a corporation. Like, you can decline that. What they are driving at when they offer you a contract is like, hey, I don't have to get a mortgage. Hey, I don't have to get a home inspection. Hey, we'll do all the repairs. We don't care. It's no problem. And then all of that comes into a situation where one of the reasons folks sell to these corporations is it's easier if you're the seller. Right. Mm -hmm. So it creates a problem in the big picture. But you as an individual seller, you're like, well, it's cash. They can close in two weeks if I need the money. They can close in three months if I don't need the money and I need to find another place to live. And they'll just hang out and wait. And and it's so flexible and they don't need a mortgage and they don't want to argue about repairing the shower or the railings or the garage or whatever. And so it, it can be appealing on an individual basis, even if. It's not healthy for the market. Right, right. Yes, all right. The devil makes it easy. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) All right, Kimberly, I appreciate your call today. I will follow up with you off the air to go into more detail about renovation lending with you, and I appreciate the call today. Okay, thank you. I appreciate it. You bet. Thanks so much. 
Hey, thanks to Kimberly for the call. I, uh, again, encourage anybody to call and talk real estate and mortgage lending at 773-763-9278. It's kind of open phones today, and we're spraying to all fields. One of the things I want to cover next is I want to transition and talk to my favorite insurance broker, Todd Johnson. I've got a couple of questions for him. Todd, how are you today? Hey, I'm doing great. Awesome, man. Hey, I appreciate you jumping on. Hopefully, you got everything straightened out at the chiropractor's office. No pun intended. I did. <laughs> Thank you. Awesome, man. Well, hey, for those of you who don't know, Todd Johnson is uh, an insurance broker here in the Chicago market with LR Windsor. And Todd, tell us a little bit about your company and what you guys do. I know you're my insurance agent, but I want to. Yeah, I want you to tell the story. Yeah, yeah. So we're an independent broker, meaning that we can work with, you know, uh, multiple carriers. We work with over 20 carriers in probably only over 40 states. So while we're physically located in Chicago, we do work with people all across the country. Uh, what makes us unique is we have the, the contracts with companies that, that everybody does. Um, and so we can make sure that people are getting the right coverage uh, with the right price. And I'll talk a little bit more, Gillen, here. I thought I'd talk about, unless you got something else, talk about just the state of the market right now is it's what we call a very hard market, meaning carriers are pulling out of markets, carriers are tightening up underwriting guidelines, carriers are saying no more than yes, carriers are actually shutting down for you know actually even accepting new business. Todd, I want to basically saying we don't want business. Todd, I want to talk about all of this. As a matter of fact, one of the things uh, when when Larry, my co-host, decided uh, or let me know he wasn't going to be able to make it today, and one of the reasons I wanted to reach out to you is I had some conversations this week, and then I saw some social media posts on, on the TikToks about the following. And I think that it's a good – I'd love for you to comment on the following when I'm done with it, and then we can segue into the discussion of the hard market as it relates to customers Um who are single family homeowners and, and not necessarily the following I've seen and heard. And, and by this, I, I mean, some other professionals who I know in the market are experiencing issues with the, not only the cost, but then the decisions that are being made in Florida, particularly as it relates to HOAs and condos. So this week I was having a discussion with a professional colleague at another company who was sharing with me that she had a condominium project renew their insurance at lower coverage levels because the cost of insurance had gotten so expensive that they were opting for less coverage in order to keep the costs down and keep the HOA fee down. But as a result of this, no new loans were able to be made in the condo project without a minimum of 25% down. So your 3.5% FHA buyer, your 5% buyer was not eligible because of the state of the insurance in the project. Right. And so my question is, can you kind of comment on how this comes about and if this is a thing you've seen or heard of? Yeah, so when it comes to looking at insurance at, at, a, at either an HOA or a single-family home, there's different ways that insurance companies can what they call the settlement options. So you can have a guaranteed home replacement contract, which means it's uncapped. You can have replacement costs which means they'll replace up to the value on your policy with maybe a 20% extension, or they'll have what's called an actual cash value, which is it sounds like what this condominium association chose to do was reduce the amount of coverage, knowing if there was a total loss, it would not cover rebuilding the building as it is today. Wow. And people are being forced to do all of the above because the costs are going through the roof. And that is the, that's the value that we can also help bring to the market because while all of our carriers are experiencing the same thing, some of our carriers are just better than others because they have, they have limited agent uh, presence in the field who are also their field underwriters. So one of our carriers actually posted a, what they call a 93% combined ratio for Illinois for last year, which means they actually made for every dollar they took in, they only spent out 93 cents, so they made some money this last year, which is phenomenal. Most companies right now are in the 120, 115, some are in the 130s, 
meaning every dollar they're taking in and premium, they're paying out a dollar twenty, a dollar thirty. So. You know, can, can, can I can I stop you on that topic real quick? I think that that's really important sure. for people to understand, Todd, as the insurance bills are going up, because when you tell me that if I have the, you know, and we've talked a little bit about why costs are increasing, although I'm going to ask you to drill down on that in more detail in a few minutes, I think that the thing that is really relevant is if most insurance companies, if you, it, and it doesn't really matter which one, right, but if I am... ABC Insurance or Acme Insurance, doesn't matter who, and I take in a million dollars in premiums, but the claims against those premiums are a million three, I'm raising your rates next year no matter what, because I'm losing. That's just, and I don't care if you cancel, and I don't care if you're upset that costs are up, because it's too expensive for me. That's correct. That's correct. Now, there are some things that consumers can be conscious of here to help mitigate this. And if it's okay, I'd like to talk about claims for a second here. Absolutely. And why it's important to to talk to A, first have an advisor that you know and trust, and then B, make sure your advisor is working on your behalf. We had an individual this week who... Um, was basically getting stopped, dropped on their auto by a national carrier. And she wanted help. She lives in a high-value home up in the suburbs, home value of about 1.3. And we were able to find some coverage, but it was very tricky. The reason why it was tricky is because they have three cars and three drivers. Her, her husband, her son each have a car. They had about eight auto claims in the last three years. Eight. Oh, geez. Most most companies—that's worse than mine. Well, but here's the thing: she had no idea that those towing claims for seventy-five dollars actually counted as a claim. Oh, they only really had, they really had two legitimate claims, but the all the other ones. So consumers need to understand. And so her comment to me, and she's a smart woman, but just doesn't understand how people how insurance comes looking at claims now. Their home had three claims, but there was only legitimately one claim. But once there's a claim on your record, it's there. It cannot be taken away. Right. So she had no idea that when she called the company to ask about a garage door opener that malfunctioned if it was covered, A, they told her no. She got paid out zero, but it showed up as a claim on her report. Wow. Because she called the company to ask them that, and then they have to report as a claim versus using an agent like us to say, hey, I have a question about this. Do I have coverage for this? Is this claim worthy? Do I file a claim here? Right. So, and then on the auto side and on the towing side, so people um, are, 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 what we're trying to encourage people to do is look, you need to file insurance. A claim when it makes sense, and we also encourage people on your deductibles on your on your auto for sure is go up to a thousand dollars. You will save money every year because you have a higher deductible, and many companies we work with also give diminishing deductibles. So every year you have a claim that goes on a hundred dollars. So put the money in your pocket, and when there is a claim, you'll probably be better off anyways because you'll save them premiums, and you know, you know, you're not going to file a claim for six hundred dollars anymore. Right. Because it's just going to raise the rates or be jeopardy of dropping. So a lot of factors going on here, you know, Dylan, in terms of raising costs. But, yes, costs are going up across the board. The other thing is the last thing I'll say here, she had a claim because somebody knocked on her door and said, we think we can get you a new roof. (laughs) She never filed. They called the company on her behalf, filed the claim. They settled up a $2,000 claim because there really wasn't really any true, true damage. She never cashed the check because it wasn't her ever filing the claim. She called the company and asked them to remove it, and they said, we cannot. Todd, a couple of things that I have as questions, and I want to I circle back on the towing thing in a minute. But I, now that we're on this topic, what I want to talk about or ask you is this. Um, the roofing thing... Talk a little bit about that because it feels like to me we've seen and and I see it where I live and I've had this experience with where a roofing 
quote unquote adjuster is knocking on my door and telling me I can help you get a new roof at your insurance company's expense. It seems like the roofing business over the last few years, maybe even a little before the pandemic and certainly since, has taken it upon themselves to look at the insurance industry as a potential funding source for new business for them. Is that reasonably accurate? It's completely correct. And unfortunately, this situation of where they found an arbitrage is forcing the companies to change how they adjudicate roofs and how they pay on roofs. A lot of companies have now gone to an ACV, an actual cash value, with a depreciation schedule after your roof maybe is 10 years old or more. Okay. So what I would say is if there is legitimate damage to a roof from any type of a storm or windstorm, any good company, you should probably get it paid for. Absolutely. However, just because you might have had hail in the area and down the street does not mean your roof needs to be replaced. Right. And and certainly not at your insurance company's expense. Like, it's not really free. At the end of the day, you can't turn around and take the 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 roofing claim path to a new roof and then complain when your premium goes up 20%. Correct, correct. So the roofing thing, again, there's legitimate claims there all the time, and when those happen, we support our insurance to make sure those are, are paid. But when there's things that are questionable, the other thing is if your roof is 25, 30 years old and it's it's already starting to, you know, deteriorate, that's upon the homeowner to fix. Your insurance policy is not a maintenance program. Right. It's a it's the thing to cover from a covered cause of loss. A- absolutely. So you spot on, Dylan, that the roofing industry, unfortunately, certain people have found a little bit of an arbitrage here in a way to get them to fund this. Um, unfortunately, what it's doing, like when this happens in any type of situation, the carriers are changing the contracts. People are paying more. And at the end of the day, a lot of people's policies language will change to be not as um, open peril, so they say, or not as coverage rich to the insured. But it's the situation where you can't pay $2,000, $1,500, $2,500 for a, a, an annual policy and every so many years have a roofing cost that's thirty, forty, fifty. We've had some of these roofing claims in excess of eighty to one hundred twenty thousand dollars. Yeah, that that math's not going to work. Again, it goes back to the idea that we talked about a few minutes back. But I want to repeat for everybody who's with us now: if your insurance company, no matter how much you complain about insurance costs going up, um, and then you're going to find yourself in a situation if your insurance company is taking in a dollar and paying out. A dollar ten, a dollar thirteen, a dollar twenty-five in claims, whether they're legitimate or not, but the illegitimate ones add to this ratio. You're going to get an increase in your premiums because otherwise, the insurance company won't won't be open to pay your claims. It's just the math. Correct. Correct. Todd, circling back. So, a little, it, go ahead. Yeah. Go. I I wanted to circle back to the towing thing. So my question is, um, you know, a a lot of people uh, add kind of this roadside assistance, towing claim, et cetera, to their policy. And it seems like a a good idea. But if we're going to affect our claims history, is there an argument for a separate policy like a triple A where you're like, look, I'm just outsourcing this and it's not under the umbrella of, of my car and homeowners insurance. I I just have a separate deal over here that I've signed up for, for, for roadside help. Correct. Correct. And we encourage that. Triple A is a phenomenal um, uh, resource to do that. Um, I've personally used them, unfortunately. (laughs) Um, it's a, it's not expensive. There's no limit on how many times you can use it, and it doesn't go against your claims in your auto. Uh, on that same vein, Dylan, I'm going to also talk about maybe scheduled personal properties. If people have a very long list of scheduled personal properties, more than I said a couple, um, it may make sense to also have a separate policy for scheduled personal property. So it's totally separate. So, so a separate policy with the same carrier or uh, or just uh, – no. Usually, yeah. Usually a different carrier. Okay. Um, 
not all carriers do those on a standalone basis, but there are several that are good. And so if you have a fairly large schedule, it, it may make sense, not always, but it, again, it's the same kind of thing of the towing thing. It may make sense to have that with something special. So if there is a, a loss, if you lose, if a, if a, a diamond falls out of the, the setting or whatnot, you'll get it covered and replaced, but it has no impact on your homeowner's policy. You know, that that's fantastic. Todd, talk a little bit about what gets insured on a personal items policy. I think that, you know, sometimes the folks listening are like nodding their head and going, oh, that makes a lot of sense, but they don't realize what can be on that type of schedule and how it can impact their situation, right? I mean, I know on, on mine personally, I, I, right. I have a you know I have a couple of pieces of jewelry and a musical instrument, and that's about it. But it can get pretty comprehensive. Right. It can't. It can't. I think you need to realize that any type of jewelry needs to be scheduled if it has a value usually over three thousand dollars. It's kind of a standalone. Some companies might cover that up to five, but. 3000 is kind of where we say, if you have any item over that and you're concerned if it gets lost, you want it replaced at, a, at the replacement value, it needs to be scheduled. When it says, when I mean scheduled, it needs to be specifically listed on the policy with the description of the item and the value. Now, there are two types of ways companies schedule, and this is really important. There's a stated value coverage, which is typically what we only do, which means if your item is covered at $8,000, if it gets damaged, lost, or stolen, you're getting a check for $8,000, and that's it. There's another type of coverage that people don't realize is called repair-replace, and this is very uh, kind of pertinent on the jewelry side. So you might have gone and bought this beautiful engagement ring for your wife or whatever type of piece of jewelry, right? Maybe it's a name-brand item. Maybe it's not, but you paid $12,000 for it. Let's say it gets lost, and your policy covers you for $12,000 on that. Well, if the, if, the, if the settlement cost, again, is repair replaced, the insurance company can go to the wholesale market and say, we can get kind of the same cut clarity and size, but we can find it for six grand. So you can either take our replacement or the check. Right. It doesn't go over too well on the claims thing when you're expecting a check for the full 12 and you're, left, you're stuck with making that option. Sure. So it's important to, and again, this is why it's important. I understand your policy Talk to your agent. Have someone that's a trusted advisor who's going to tell you the real story. It, the, the, the repair or place option is not terrible. It, it tends to be. It can be a little bit cheaper. It's usually roughly the same price. But you just want to know what you have. And so when there's a claim, there's no surprises. Right, Todd. There's a lot of details in this stuff. So if I was to to, to talk to you, and and I think that people should um, talk to you. I, I'm a firm believer, just based on what I do on the mortgage side of things, in the broker business model, where you have multiple sources to provide solutions for people. So if people are interested in getting a hold of you and your team to take a look at their insurance situation and see if they could save some money on what they have, what is the best way for them to get a hold of you? Best way is go to our website, www.lrwindsor.com. That's L-R-W-I-N-D-S-O-R.com. And there's a request to quote there. You can put your name information. You can say, you know, talk, you know, heard, heard you talk on Dylan's show. We will make sure we get back to you. So that's the best way to do it. Um, before I go here, Dylan, I also want to put a plug in here because people are here talking about you. I've known Dylan for 10 plus years. There's a lot of people I come across in the mortgage industry, and I know Dylan was recently only talking about renovation loans and whatnot. Dylan is the expert at finding very unique solutions for people because not everyone's personal financial situation is the same and different. And a lot of banks and lenders try to put you in a box. And Dylan, his team, they know what they're doing. They know how to navigate it. So, Dylan, I'd like to just put a personal plug in back to you because I've used you. I've had people come to you. And their team knows what he's doing. Well, I, you know what? I appreciate the kind words, Todd, and thanks so much. I, if I knew you were going to butter me up that much, I'd have brought some bread. Hmm. You, can, you can send it later. <laughs> <laughs> Too funny. Well, hey, uh, thanks so much for taking 20 minutes to talk with us today about the insurance market. I think it's really uh, a challenging situation out there. and But I think that um, you know, working with you and your expertise is a way to navigate that challenging market. So uh, thanks so much for making time today. 
appreciate it. And if anybody has any questions, just reach out to us. Thanks. You got it. Thanks, Todd. All right, that's the Real Estate Radio Show uh, segment for insurance discussion. If you want to talk about real estate, insurance, or mortgage financing, call or text 773-763-9278, and we'll come back in a minute after this break and resume the conversation. Thanks. Tune in to Real Estate Radio, Saturdays at 9 a.m., hosted by the real estate therapist Larry Shackman, a top-producing real estate broker, author, CEO, and founder of TrustedAgentUSA.com. Top-performing agents for 2% commission, saving you thousands when you sell, buy, or invest. Real Estate Radio, the ultimate real estate radio experience. Get insider tips from experts throughout the real estate industry. Streaming live on Facebook at WCPT 820. Trusted Agent USA, Illinois, license number 475 Welcome back to Real Estate Radio, sponsored in part by TrustedAgentUSA.com, the ultimate real estate matchmaker, saving you thousands. Now, now back to Larry, the real estate therapist. Hey, everybody. Dylan Kramer in for Larry today or in without Larry today. Uh, again, I'm with Neighborhood Loans, NMLS number 224916. And uh, I want to uh, wish Larry well. He apparently is a little bit under the weather. And so he'll be back with us, uh, I assume, next week. And we will go from there. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about Larry, as a matter of fact. Um, one of the things that Larry's done, and if you're watching live on the WCPT Facebook feed, I'm holding up right now Larry's book, The Top Tens of Real Estate. If you are interested in getting a copy of Larry's book, The Top Tens of Real Estate, Larry creates uh, went through and, and spent a massive amount of time creating 30 top 10 lists of all things relevant in real estate. And I like to share this with customers because I think that there's a lot of times, and I'm going to tell a couple of stories in a few minutes about how people can think their way into trouble because they think they know something. And so when you get a copy of Larry's book, The Top Tens of Real Estate, and if you want a copy, do not hesitate to text BOOK to 630 708-7088, and I will get you a copy of the book. Larry's book goes into things um, as widely varied as psychological roadblocks for sellers, things buyers don't like about negotiating, and things that indicate a normal real estate market, which I think is really relevant today because we are in a fairly normal real estate market. The, The abnormal market was the one where we had 3% interest rates and 30 people trying to bid on every single property that was worth a darn. Now we're in a situation where the good properties are selling actively, and that market is healthy. And if you want to talk about the real estate and mortgage market, don't hesitate. Or if you have any questions about your personal situation, don't hesitate to give us a call at 773-763-763. 9278. I certainly welcome your call. Talk real estate and finance. So one of the ways that I think people can get themselves in trouble is, um, well, there's two two ways. But the first one is I want to talk about kind of how things, uh, I'm going to talk about two things over the course of the next 10 or 12 minutes. Um, and, and they're from opposite ends of the spectrum economically. What do I mean by that? What I mean is I have a first-time buyer, single parent, who has been working for a few years at a good job. And this person um, had what we basically call a thin file credit report, right? And by a thin file, I mean it's it's a Visa card, it's a couple of store cards, there's never been a car payment on it, and obviously never a mortgage because they're first time buyers. And so too often, people will Google or think that they have an understanding of how things work. This borrower, a potential borrower, thought they had an understanding of how um, credit reports and mortgage and, and, and monthly payments work. So they turned around a year-ish ago and uh, were at a retailer and got a store credit card to get a 10% discount. The store credit card literally had $100 available credit. 
which means you can go in and you can buy a nominal amount of products at the store. If they knock 10% off a $65 purchase, you are going to save $6.50. So don't buy the pitch that we can save you a bunch of money. What happens is you can get on the death spiral of credit because they use the 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 minimum required standards in managing the way they administer the credit cards. So here's what happened. This borrower was interested in buying a place and the lease expired at their existing home in November. And they had a small balance. But the thing on some of these store credit cards is they don't zero out if you pay them in full. What do I mean by that? I mean that if you have a balance from the 1st to the 29th, they might charge you a couple of bucks of interest. So if you have $65 and then you pay, you might still owe $2, which is what happened to this person. But because the lease was up, they moved to another house. And when they moved to the other house to be kind of in a temporary housing situation until they get their house done, the bill from the store credit card went to the old house for $2 in interest on the carrying purchase. And so they paid the $65, but two bucks in interest was there. And they didn't pay the bill because they didn't get it, because the mail didn't forward, because they aren't required to forward the mail. They sent it to the address you provided last. So because of that, we end up in a situation where the credit score went from an approvable 650-ish to sub 600 on one $2 late payment. So you have to, it, it's just not worth it to take these store credit cards. Don't do it. Speaking of loans and credit scores, I want to talk to Steve, who's just called in. Let's have a conversation with Steve. How are you today? Yes, and I think it's an interesting topic. Uh, I had a buyer on one of my properties some time ago, and, and they were young, in their late 20s, uh, professionals, but again, first-time buyers. And, you know, they had decent credit in the upper 700s. And, and then in between the time that, you know, we actually agreed on a price and the closing, they decided to go out and buy a whole bunch of stuff in anticipation of, of buying this place. And, you know, literally $100,000 worth of furniture and electronics and other things. Oh, my God. And then when it finally came time, you know, to, to finalize everything. Oh, Lord, no. Lord, what a surprise. Their credit took a hit because now you've run up more of the potential maximum credit that you have. And that impacts uh, your credit score. But, you know, I mean, people just don't understand this. They, they think that, OK, OK, you've been pre-approved. OK, but you haven't closed on anything yet. Right. And, and in case you're wondering, other people have pulled this before where it's like, you know, yes, I have this. Now I have the potential to go in three different directions with credit. No, that's an anticipation of your buying the home, not going out and buying a car, furniture, electronics, and then buying the home. Steve, you're you're 100 percent right. I think a, a couple of things that get really, really relevant. Um, so first, I hope your deal was able to be saved because that's always <laughs> the number one thing. Right. Can we save the transaction? But I think that the, the other two things for people to keep in mind is when you're in a loan in process, two things. The first one is until you are handed the keys and the words you are funded are spoken don't do anything with your credit report. Just do not. It's no good. The second thing I would tell everybody is it's so important to understand that if you do anything with your credit report, it's going to have to be documented. And any mortgage lender worth their salt in today's market has what's called an undisclosed debt monitoring system. So from the time you're pre-approved until the time you're given the keys, they kind of have an open channel with your social security number. And if you have your credit report run or your credit card balance goes up 10 grand because you're buying furniture for the house in your example or whatever the case is, or you get a new washer dryer. And again, they offer you you know, you're like, "Well, I'm getting a new washer dryer for the house. It's a thousand bucks and they're going to give me 10% off." That $100 that you're saving, in theory, gets jammed with $100 worth of hassle because what will happen is the lender will say, did you open new credit? And if you did, in the washer-dryer example, they will 
ask you for evidence of the new account, evidence of the new minimum monthly payment. They will need to rerun you through automated underwriting, and then an underwriter will have to sign off on it. This could take days, and a new account may not be ready to report that information to the credit bureau, even though the activity has been on the undisclosed credit monitoring. So you end up in a problem where if you're if you do this on Monday and you're supposed to close on Friday, there might not be enough time, even if you're qualified, even if there's no damage to your credit score, to get to the closing table by Friday. Absolutely. And the other thing is, you know, if you could address this, I mean, I've had people who, again, younger buyers, who will literally tell me that their plan is to borrow the down payment in order to cover that because they don't have it, so they're going to borrow it from their parents or something and pay it back down the road. And, and technically, you know, that's not legal. <laughs> you know, depending on what the, the, the thing is that, you know, we like to say in the mortgage business, you always have to get a gift. And, and, and so at the end of the day, we'll have a conversation with borrowers and parents about the idea that, you know what, if you're going to give 10 grand to the transaction as the parents, we're going to need you to sign a document for the purpose of the loan that says it's not a loan, right? For the purpose of the mortgage, it says this is not a loan. Exactly. What they work out amongst themselves later is kind of between them. But lenders are looking to make sure that there's no claim for another lien against the house. But really, at the end of the day, the other thing that occasionally happens, which is even worse, is occasionally you have somebody who's like, I'm going to take an advance on my credit card or I'm going to take a personal loan for 20 grand. And it's like, well, are you qualified? And, and you know, look, if you're going to do that, you could turn around and open a 20,000. But you got to if you're going to do that, you need to do it in advance. And what I mean by that is if the money's in your bank account on yesterday, March 1st, then. By the time it's in your March statements and your April statements, May 1st, you could do that. So if you're qualified, you could take a loan in February, right, for 20 grand on a personal loan or a credit card advance, put it in your bank account, but then you got to travel two or three months down the road. And the thing is that some people, actually most people, just from a human nature standpoint, don't understand the documentation of the mortgage process that looks back over the last 60 or 90 days of your life in terms of pay stubs and banking and all that thing. And so they do something today and call me tomorrow or Monday or in a week and a half. They're like, all right, I got all my ducks in a row. No, you don't. It's so important to talk to your mortgage lender and your real estate professional up front to make sure you get get right information and do the right things in anticipation. It's why pre-approval is and so that's important. A, and that's an important point. And, and that's an important point because trust me, whatever you think that you have thought of that you are go- that's going to allow you to skirt the system, someone else already thought of it, and the system has calculated that into the process. And and there, the bottom line is that the banks are trying to assess how risk worthy you are and what they're going to charge you in accordance with that risk. So if you go out and ruin your credit in between the time you found that place and made a deal on it and closed on it, the bank's going to know. So, you know, don't be surprised that the terms of the of, uh, of the purchase are going to change. It, it, you may even negate the purchase because you simply can't meet the new terms. But uh, again, you know, these are the things that people just don't know. Steve, you're 100% right. Um, I appreciate you calling in. We are short on time and need to wrap it up. So thanks for the call today. We welcome the chance to have another conversation with you down the road. All right, everybody, that's the Real Estate Radio Show for today. Uh, Best wishes for Larry to feel better. And we'll talk to you next Saturday on the Real Estate Radio Show here on WCPT. Thanks for joining us on Real Estate Radio with your host, Larry Shagman, the real estate therapist and top producing broker. Now go to trustedagentusa.com and save thousands when you sell, buy, or invest. Illinois license number 475-145-795. Tune in next week for the ultimate real estate radio experience.